Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, The Authority of the King, today, as we look into the Word at Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. So let's join Dr. Newfeld now as he brings us a message titled, Lord Over the Demonic Realm. In our study of Matthew 8 to 10, we come to a miracle in which Jesus heals two men who are demon-possessed. And before we go directly into the text, I think it's important to discuss a very important issue, and that is the issue of the existence of demonic beings. According to the Bible, Satan and the demons are evil angels who sinned and lost their privilege of serving God. According to Jude verse 6, they are angels that did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. And that would mean they didn't submit to God's direction for them. 2 Peter chapter 2, 4 speaks of angels who sin. Now, in both of those passages, the details are extremely sparse. I mean, how did they sin? When did it happen? How many are those that sinned? I mean, how is it even possible for angels to sin? I mean, none of that is being explained. Now, a part of the answers can be found by piecing some Bible material together. According to Genesis 3, it was the serpent who came to tempt Eve. Now, I know that there are those who deny that the serpent of Genesis 3 is is Satan or the devil, but consider 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, which speaks of the serpent who deceived Eve by his cunning, and then Paul also warns believers that this same serpent might deceive you. Or consider Revelation 12, verse 9, which speaks of the serpent, and then the passage says, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole earth. And so, clearly, from the New Testament, the serpent of Genesis 3 is Satan himself. But when did this angelic rebellion against God actually happen? Again, the Bible is largely silent, but we know it happened before Adam and Eve sinned. See, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And, and I assume the beginning that John's referring to is the beginning of the world. That is, from the time of the creation of the universe, the devil has been sinning. Now, we also know that according to Jesus in John 8, 44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So so notice two things. Jesus says that the devil is a murderer from the beginning, and we know that the first murder was committed when Cain killed his brother Abel. And Jesus is saying that this deed was authored or inspired by Satan. By the way, that fits nicely into the text of Genesis 4 verse 7. There, when Cain is in the throes of temptation to kill his brother, God says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Now, this idea of crouching is the kind of thing one might find in a wild animal as it's seeking to pounce. And a number of Bible teachers have pointed out that in the ancient world, the demons were seen in exactly that fashion crouching and waiting to pounce. And and I think that was Jesus' teaching. From the beginning, from, from the early days after the creation was complete, Satan crouched in the shadows, lurking, awaiting for his moment when he could overpower Cain and inspire him to murder. Behind the murder of Abel, says Jesus, stands the devil himself. He is a murderer from the beginning. But he's also the world's first liar, as he deceived Eve by twisting the words of God and lying into her heart. So, according to the Bible, Satan or the devil or Beelzebub 
is the king of the demons. He's the one who tried to get Jesus to sin at the beginning of of his public ministry. He has at his disposal a great military army of demons who, according to Jude verse 6, are kept in eternal chains, meaning that, that God has limited their power. Nevertheless, there are a global network of workers of evil who who inspire war and hatred, murder, lies, and who influence humans to do evil. They they own the kingdoms of men. Um, Before going on, one more item. Because demons are, are not God. That is, they're not omnipresent. You see, only God is present to all places at all times. Demons on the other hand, are territorial. They, they roam the earth, but they can be in only one place at one time. They don't know everything. I don't believe that they can read our thoughts. And they are sent to various locations at various times to inspire evil and hatred against God. Okay, that's the background. So let's read our text. I'm reading Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. And so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now, this, quite frankly, is one of the most puzzling accounts in the life of Jesus. Now, what's not puzzling is why Matthew includes this account. He's been telling us in the account of the calming of the storm that Jesus is Lord of nature. And now he uses this true account to tell us that Jesus is also Lord of the unseen realm of angels and of demons. His authority of all things is complete and it's absolute. So that's clear, but the details of this account leaves us somewhat bewildered. I mean, why do these demon-possessed men actually approach Jesus? I mean, wouldn't they want to stay away from him? I mean, why do they expect Jesus to torture them? And why does he give them permission to enter the herd of pigs? I mean, that would decimate the farmer's harvest of pork, and I imagine it would have an impact on their financial status. You know, Mark, when he reports on this story, says that there were 2,000 pigs that were drowned, and I have to imagine that this many pigs represents a great many farmers And this act would have had a great effect on the finances of that town. I mean, no wonder the town fathers asked Jesus to leave after that. I mean, their economy couldn't take that kind of a loss. When we read this, we have to ask, what's going on here? So knowing that Matthew has included this account to teach us that Jesus is Lord of the angelic and demonic realm, let's trace the details of the story and find out exactly how Jesus demonstrates his authority over demons and what that means to us. Matthew mentions two demon-possessed men, and that's interesting because both Mark and Luke also mention this account, but when Mark and Luke tell the story, they only mention one demon-possessed man but that really shouldn't trouble us. The most likely answer to this difference is that one of the men must clearly have been far more prominent and more terrifying than the other. 
One was, if you will, the, the alpha male, and the other was his follower, maybe even his lackey. And so Mark and Luke only mention the man who's prominent or formidable, while Matthew fills in a tiny detail that, that there actually was another far less formidable than the first. I mean, that detail's important to Matthew because Matthew wants us to know just how devastating the effects of demon actually are in the realm of men. Now, several other details. And these two men lived among the tombs, among the dead. You know, from the Jewish perspective, that would by itself mean that these men were unclean. And you can find that by reading Numbers 19, 11 to 16. But, but from our perspective, we might conclude that, that given how savage the demons have been with these two men, demon possession already puts them among the dead and, and among the eternally damned long before physical death actually occurs. They are, if you will, the walking dead. Now, Matthew also mentions that the men were fierce, that is, people considered them very dangerous. They would want to stay away from them. Mark tells us that one of them had been bound with shackles and chains and that he had wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one was able to subdue him. I mean, you could only imagine how parents and families would have seen this. It's a very great danger to their town. I mean, please imagine a town that has a, a horrible and a sinister danger lurking outside. It's, it's always there, especially at night. And that's because the more haunting figure of the two would cry out in the day and in the night, and he would be cutting himself. You know, it's also clear that these two wore no clothing, and so we assume they acted like, like animals. It's, it's really terrifying to think about it. Again, according to Mark, Jesus asked the demons, what is your name? And they reply, my name is Legion. See, a Roman legion had over 6,000 troops, and, and Matthew records them crying out. That, that is, all of the demons, all 6,000 of them crying out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? I have no concept of understanding what that must have sounded like. It must have been far more horrifying than what modern movie makers have ever captured in their movies. This is truly a terrifying scene. Momentum is picking up as friends from across the country sign up for the 2022 Israel Experience. Join us from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 with Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld, Laugh Against Phil Calloway, very special musical guests, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, David walked. Visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, David's royal palace. Sail the Sea of Galilee and join in communion together at the Garden Tomb. A traveler from our last Israel experience said, the trip was overwhelmingly wonderful. The trip of a lifetime. Well, the full Israel itinerary is now available online and to ensure an intimate experience, numbers are limited. So register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. I want you to imagine the, the disciples watching in horror as two crazed, overwhelmingly evil and strong men, rational, destructive, making a noise that would make one shudder. 
they run towards Jesus and all the disciples see is Jesus standing and facing what must have seemed like two incredibly strong, crazed and irrational men about, about to murder him. You know, if the life of Jesus seemed vulnerable on the Sea of Galilee as the, as the boat was about to be swamped, here again, his life seems in danger. But we know that not only is Jesus the Lord of nature, he's also the Lord of the unseen realm. See, I don't think demon possession is a very common phenomenon. There's only one case of it mentioned in the Old Testament, and after the Gospels, we don't find it very often in the rest of our Bible. I think the reason that there's so much of it in the, in the ministry of Jesus has everything in the world to do with both the promises of God to Israel, that is, the promise of a Messiah and a Savior of the world that would one day come, and because when Jesus actually does arrive, there's a great and a terrible spiritual warfare that, that's been opened up in the heavenly realms. And hence, all the demons of hell concentrated on him, knowing that the battle of the ages was now being enjoined. I mean, here we find spiritual warfare at an unprecedented level. That doesn't mean that demon possession doesn't happen today. I know that it does. I, I've faced it a few times in my own ministry. And I'm only arguing that it's, it's only found in pockets. And I know there are certain, certain cultures where, where the demonic finds more easy acceptance. See, I also anticipate that it happens in the halls of human power, in politics, and in, in great realms of influence. It does happen in our culture as well, but again, I think it a rare and an unusual phenomenon. But when Jesus came, the gates of hell were stirred up. And that explains why these two men and their 6,000 demons rushed toward him and not away. This now is the scene of a great battle. And Matthew tells us this happened in the region of the Gadarenes. Mark and Luke say it, it's the Gerasenes. But if you go to Israel, you'll soon find out that the, the place is known by both of those names. There, there is no contradiction here. The point, however, is that the place was located across the Sea of Galilee. See, Jesus' base of operations was in Capernaum, which was located on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also in the territory of Galilee. The Gadarenes was on the southeastern side of the lake, which would have been diagonally across the sea in the territory of the Decapolis. Now, that refers to 10 cities. Now, these cities were originally settled by the Greeks, and, and in the time of Jesus, they were under Roman jurisdiction and, and were largely Gentile cities. And they controlled a trade route from Arabia all the way to Damascus in Syria. It was an important Gentile geographical area. So I want you to imagine that the people there are largely Gentile, although I have no doubt there were some Jews there. But this is a largely Gentile area, and that no doubt explains the abundance of pig farmers on that side of the lake. So let's return to these two men. They're crying out in demonic voices, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Clearly, they recognize Jesus the very minute he steps foot into their territory. And they're alarmed and they're concerned. What does this mean? Matthew tells us that they're concerned that he has come to torment them before their time, which I take to mean before the appointed time, that is, the last days on the final judgment of God. So it's clear that the demons understand that at the end of human history, God's not only going to judge the world of men, but he will judge the demons and consign them to the lake of fire and to eternal torment. 
But the demons are now confused about the coming of Jesus. They see that he's the son of God. They see that he's healing the sick and he's even raising the dead. They know that these are the events that are going to occur when the kingdom comes. And yet, here's the king and he's doing some outstanding miracles and he shows up in their territory and they're terrified that along with the miracles that he's doing, that they may begin to be consigned to the place of torment long before the end of the world. See, according to Mark, the demons also plead with him not to send them out of the Decapolis. We know that this region had had resisted the influence of Judaism and the teaching of the law of God. They had erected all manner of temples in honor of local pagan gods, and they had frequent festival in celebration of paganism. You know, some suggest that pigs were often used as sacrifices to pagan deities, and I don't know whether that's true or not, but I suspect even if it's true, it's probably not relevant to this account. However, we know that in the Jewish Talmud and in the writings of the church fathers, the Decapolis was described as a place that belonged to the pagan nations that Israel had driven out of the the promised land under Joshua. So, So if you're a Jew and you hear Matthew describe Jesus in this place, it wouldn't surprise you to hear that immediately upon setting foot in this area, Jesus is confronted by demon-possessed men, extremely dangerous, violent men. That's exactly what you'd expect in the Decapolis, for it was the house of demons. And with that background, the rest of the story begins to make sense. The demons desperately don't want to be tortured, and they desperately don't want to leave that region. This is their home. This culture is permeated by the spirit of demons. But notice how Matthew describes this encounter. Jesus is not on the defensive. It's the demons that are. He has come to invade the Decapolis. He's come to tear the gates of paganism down, to reduce it to ashes. And that's what demons want to know. Is this the end of the age when finally their power over human culture is ultimately broken? It doesn't seem to be the end of the age. I mean, evil seems to be going on. So so what in the world is the Son of God doing here? And so in terror, they seek permission to enter into the pigs of the region. And I see here two things. First, the legion of demons instantly see that Jesus will throw them out of these men. They know intuitively that he has come to set people free from the power of demons. They know that in his presence, he will deliver these two men from their grasps. You know, let's take a look forward to Matthew 16, verse 18. There Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. See, many of us don't know that Jesus said that in a place called Caesarea Philippi, the city in Israel, where Roman paganism dominated. There all manner of pagan temples were erected, and Jesus promised that his church would be built in the heart of demonic culture and that hell's best defenses wouldn't be able to stop him from doing that. Now, what these demons know is that they're helpless against Jesus' work of setting men and women free from the power of Satan. And so they beg to enter the pigs. You see, they want to stay in the region even though they won't be able to possess these men. Now, if I understand this rightly, These pigs are an apt representation of this region. You know, for the Jews, pigs are considered unclean. Indeed, the pigs represent what is unclean. 
And the demons ask, if you drive us out of people, can we, rather than going into the lake of fire, hang out in these unclean areas? Now, if that's right, and and I think one can make a good case that that's exactly what's going on here, then it becomes apparent what Jesus is doing. So he tells the demons to enter the 2,000 pigs, which results in the pigs being crazed and rushing over a steep bank into the Sea of Galilee where they're drowned. And the herdsmen, seeing what's happened, they're terrified. They run into the city. They tell the elders of the city what's just occurred. A huge financial loss has just happened and all their pigs are dead. And Mark and Luke tell a part of the story that Matthew doesn't tell. The demon-possessed men are healed. Their sanity returns to them in a moment. The prominent demoniac begs Jesus that he might follow him, but Jesus forbids him and tells him to enter into the 10 cities of the Decapolis and tell everyone what Jesus has done. This is the beginning of what will be a church. But Matthew, although he could tell that part of the story, doesn't want us to get distracted because he's trying to make another point. Matthew tells us that this city near where this occurred comes out to meet Jesus and they want him to go away. And during the ministry of Jesus, there are all manner of people and towns that want nothing to do with him. Remember Matthew eleven twenty one, Jesus is speaking and he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. And it's the same here. The people of this city aren't overwhelmed that two men have been healed and that the power of the Son of God is among them. They're overwhelmed that their pigs are dead and the financial implications. And Matthew wants us to see that Jesus comes to us with the power to release us from evil. And yet men will choose evil rather than the Son of God. Men love darkness rather than light. John, thanks for today's message. It's a part of the Bible, maybe talking about demons that we don't always approach. And maybe it's because so many of us fear demons. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, just the the conversation about demons or demon possession, I mean, they just shudder and and they don't want to deal with that. And, And clearly, I need to say, Ben, that if, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't Lord, we should fear the demonic realm. And they have a huge power in this world. That's all true. But any child of God who is armed with the Lord Jesus Christ does not need to fear. Um, I know that those few times in my life where I've actually dealt with people who are either demon-possessed or being harassed by demons, I have been overwhelmed that how much simply mentioning the name of Jesus suddenly changes the whole atmosphere, and so one can be confident in the power of Christ. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The church was created to be God's instrument to declare the gospel to a fallen world. In Dr. Neufeld's series, Lessons for the Church, discover more about the purposes of the church and how God has equipped His church for service. Lessons for the Church is our free CD resource this month to encourage and equip God's people. Request your copy or listen online, podcast, or download the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app. Making Bible teaching you can trust available is central to our mission, and it makes a difference. Rob wrote, Back to the Bible Canada has become even more of a blessing since I relocated. I have grown so much, and the ministry has been a lifeline during this time of transition. Thanks so much for your encouragement. 
For more information or to request your free CD copy of Lessons for the Church, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.